You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Lord, we heard today that it's your breath in our lungs. And I pray, Lord, it's your breath in my lungs. I just pray, Lord, that you would get the glory and the honor and everything that's said and done today. Amen. We're going to look at Peter. Two famous stories with Peter. And if you know me and we get into a situation, you look at something and you see it and you kind of go, huh? And there are some things in the Bible where you kind of look at it a second time and go, huh? Well, I'm going to give you a bunch of uh uh-huh moments today. And I hope God will show you what he showed me. I'm taking my watch off here for Krista. She asked me to do that. It doesn't work, but I took it off anyway. Uh, We're going to look at Mark. We're going to start Mark. And this is the Last Supper. And this is Jesus talking to Peter. And it's Mark chapter 14. And we're at 29. Going to go to 31. And I'm going to read it out of the Bible. So Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter spoke first. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So you're going to have to be cooperative here. Help me out. Before the rooster. The rooster crows when? In the morning, right? What's before the morning? The night. Okay, the night's dark. All right? Jesus is kind of like making it even more difficult repeated to deny because people have to see him before they can accuse him before he can deny. So in the dark, Peter probably thought, this is a piece of cake. I got it. I can do this at night. No one's going to see me. No one's going to recognize me. I got it. We're good. I kind of think of the, the prophets when they threw water on the altar. They just made it harder. This, Jesus made it harder just to show Peter what's going on. So, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of streetlights. So we need to talk about something. We need to talk about fire and how important fire is. Fire is very important even today. I mean, if we go home today, we leave this building, and we have no fire. Our cars are staying in the parking lot, and we're all walking up to Sandy's house for lunch (laughs) because fire is something we use every day. It's something that's very common. But I want to get a different picture of fire. So I want to take you to a film that some of you have seen, and it's a very stereotypical. um, The name of the movie is Castaway, and the character that Tom Hanks played is a plane wrecked on an island. And it shows him struggling to survive, but when he was able to make fire, his whole outlook changed. Everything changed. He used the friction method to make fire. He was rubbing wood together and sticks together. And I was reading, they still use that method 2,000 years ago, friction, using wood. As a matter of fact, um, there was some literature from a Roman uh, mariner, captain to his ships, saying what was the best wood to use for the friction method in 70 AD. So that's how they made fire. So fire was a difficult thing to make. It wasn't something that was very easy. The other method was compression, which was the rocks and the flint. And they even had a thing called the flint steel that they would strike on a rock. So, but you have to think differently about fire in that 
you carried around the tools with you to make fire. So if you needed a fire, you weren't going to go look for flint. You weren't going to go hunt for the wood that works the best. You weren't going to go hunt for the paper or the, the straw that's going to ignite. You had that with you. So fire was a big deal. <laughs> so fire has got three main reasons that we use it today. We think of heat. We think of cooking with it. But we don't think about it with light. We just we think heat and cooking, right? Because we have lights. We don't need fire for lights. It's funny, we live in a town named Beacon. It's named after Mount Beacon. The mountain came first, then the town, the city. And it got its name from the fires that were burnt on the mountain during the Revolutionary War as signal fires up and down the Hudson River to notify the troops when the British were coming up the river. So we live, in, we live in a town where the main source of fire is all about light. Now we think of cooking and we think of warmth, but where we are, it's light. So that's to set up a story. So there's this fire in a courtyard, we'll look at it in scripture, and they had public fires because fire was tough to get going. They would have a fire outside the gate where they run the garbage, They'd have a fire near the gate so that the elders of the city could see the people coming and going and kind of like security. And then there'd be fires within the city. And it was like a community fire. And they'd be used for lighting an area, like in the story we're going to read in a second, there was a courtyard. But they'd be used also for travelers coming through who couldn't make their own fire because the Holiday Inn didn't have a stove. So if they were going to eat, they had to go find a fire. And again, are they going to make their own fire? No. The town or the city would have fires that they could go and do all that. So there were these fires. They were, very, they were like a community hangout. They're very common. So now we've got to look at Mark 14, 66 through 72. As Peter was below in the courtyard, here we are in the courtyard, one of the servants' girls of the high priest came, seeing Peter warming himself. She looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, where there's no fire, and the rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him there, and she began again to say to the bystanders, this man's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to make curses on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And then Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So there's the story. Peter goes to the fire to get warm, and the light of the fire exposes his face. He wasn't there to be seen, he was there to get warm. And then the, the girl saw him. I think it's interesting. We have to look at the girl as a servant girl of the high priest. High priest at this time was Caiaphas. And you're wondering, what is a little servant girl doing around a community fire in the middle of the night? So those are the kind of questions I ask. Well, what is she doing there? Well, you know what? She probably had a little status. She was probably like, you know, no one messed with her because she, was, she worked for the high priest. So she could roam around and hang out with the adults 
just like anybody else. And from this, I think she was kind of a pest. Or maybe even a little brat. She sees Peter, and she says, you're one of them. He denies it, and he leaves. He goes somewhere else. She follows him. I mean, can you see that, can you see that scenario? I do. Okay? So she follows him, and she says it again. And then the third time. I think the important thing we have to look at real quick is that Peter didn't realize his denial until it was over, until the rooster crowed. Sometimes we get involved in our failures, and we don't see it while we're in it. It's not until we see the people we hurt or the consequences from it. So that's something to look at when the rooster crows. Ever, ever reverse engineer something? I do. When you have a failure, something goes wrong, we look back on the situation and say, you know what, if we just did it different right here. So we look at the story and say, you know, if that servant girl wasn't there, Peter wouldn't have denied Jesus, right? If it wasn't for that one girl, one girl and you know what? If Peter just stayed away from the fire, if he doesn't go anywhere near the fire, he's fine. He went to the fire to get warm. There it is. There is the smoking gun. He needed a better coat. Peter was, he was cold. He went to the fire to get warm, and then all the events just boom, boom. We do that. We do that with our failures. You know, officer, if that car hadn't cut me off first, I would not have reacted that way. Come on. You know, that woman at work that gives me a hard time, if she would call in sick today, I would be a real good Christian today. She knows how to push my button. Of course, you're wearing a shirt that has buttons all over it, and she's pushing it. But you know what I'm saying? Well, let's get closer to home. You know, kids, if you had just cleaned up your room the first time when they asked you, I wouldn't have gotten mad the second time. Right? See how we can ex- put it on external th- reasons. Meanwhile, it's here. Peter's denial was here. The fire just showed it up. The fire just exposed it. <laughs> we all are at that fire very often. It's not bad, but we don't stay there. All right, we're going to look at another story. This one's a little bit more. <laughs> Let's go to Mark. No, no, I'm sorry. We're going to skip ahead a few days after the resurrection. And uh, there's a story. Very common story. It's been preached here within the last few months. And it's been referred to. And we're going to look at it from a little different way. John 21, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read it off the screen. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Juan, Thomas, 2, Nathaniel, 3, the sons of Zebedee, 4, 5, and two others of his disciples were together. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, what was it? Seven guys? Six guys? They're all together. Going on. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet they didn't know who he was. This is important. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? 
They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that phrase, we know who wrote this book, right? This is John. So he's referring to himself. And sometimes, you know, you kind of go, oh, that's so sweet. And other times you want to go, right? <laughs> you know? When people talk about themselves in that special, you're kind of like, ooh, okay? The disciple whom Jesus loved says to Peter, it's the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He had work clothes on, and he threw himself into the sea. We're going to stop there. So that's the story we're going to look at. And I'm going to move you all around this story. But first, you have to have a visual, and Ian's going to help me out with a little visual here. I know when you came to church this morning, now one of you drove in the car and said, I wonder if they're going to compare Peter to Forrest Gump. <laughs> right? No. But that's the image you have to have when Peter jumps out of the boat. They're, if you, later on, you'll see they're 100 yards from shore. Okay? We see this scene with Forrest Gump and we would go, okay, Lieutenant Dan is on a dock. Boats pull up to docks. I'm driving the boat. I back it up, turn the wheel pull over to the dock, right? But no. Boom. Peter, same thing. He realizes Jesus. It's like, come on, guys, let's get the boat in shore. It's Jesus. No. He grabs his coat, takes off. Now, that's another thing we should look at real quick. He takes, gets his coat and puts it on. He's going to go see Jesus. It's okay to get dressed up when you come see Jesus. And my wife said, yeah. The guys wear suits, ladies look nice. It's okay. We used to do that a lot. Think of Peter putting his coat on before jumping in the water. Just don't go into Hudson on the way home from church. But it's okay to get dressed up to come see Jesus. So here we are in the boat. Now, I got to recap because this is where it's all about. These guys are professionals. They're not in a rowboat. There's six or seven of them. They're not in a rowboat. It's not a little boat. They're professionals. I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of Tim being a professional carpenter. And when we come to work day, everyone wants to hang out with Tim because he's got the best tools. <laughs> and they all have a place where they go in his truck, and that, that's his job. Well, we got to think differently about these seven guys on the boat. This is their job. So it's a good-sized boat, and I'm sure it's laid out the most efficient way. I'm sure the, the baskets for the fish are here, the tackle to pull a net in. They might have poles, the oars. It all has a place where it's got to be. It's to be the most efficient. John Powell is a fisherman in the church. I'm sure he's taking his grandkids out fishing. And it's like, you sit in the boat there, 
You sit there. This is where this goes. Nobody change anything, right? So they've been fishing off this side of the boat, and this stranger from 100 yards away says, yo, you catch anything? And they're like, no. I mean, 100 yards is a long ways. Throw the man on the other side of the boat. Now, who's the professional here? The guy's in the boat. And for them to throw the net out the other side of the boat, I have to move around talking with my hands, I'm sorry. Throw it on the other side of the boat, they have to move all the stuff from this side of the boat so that they can throw the net out the other side of the boat. Now, we would be the geniuses, and we would say, well, if he wants me to fish on the side of the boat, then that area of the sea is the most important thing. I'll just turn the boat around. And now I'm fishing out this side of the boat. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, put the net out the other side. So I'm sure there was some good time discussion on that boat. I want to get you on that boat, so be there. I'm sure there was some good, like, who is this guy? We don't even know who he is. And we're going to change what we do. We're going to move our stuff. It probably only took two of them to say, you know what? Let's throw the net. Probably took two of them to throw the net. They all didn't have to throw the net. They had to get out of the way. Two of them probably said, yeah, let's go. Come on, throw the net. Okay. <laughs> so they throw the net. And what happens? They get a huge hole. They can't pull it in the boat. And Peter jumps off the boat. Now, I need to put you on that boat. I need you to be the guys left on the boat, not Peter swimming ashore. Okay? Because when the fish came in and they realized how big it was, they're all grabbing onto it to pull it on the boat. And then they probably went, where's Peter? Uh, we had more guys to carry. Where's Peter? And John's like, uh, he pulled a forest gump. He's over there. He's a prophet. So he, he took off. He's gone. Now the guy in the boat, all of them, they're probably thinking, he's getting out of the work. Who's going to fold his nets? Who's going to do his job now? We're in the boat. I have to do more work because Peter jumped out of the boat. Right? You, you with me on that? So now you're in the boat. And you're holding on to the net and you're watching Peter swim away. This is where I got to get you. It's real. Excuse me. I'm usually not as bad. It's real inconvenient on a weekday to change your food schedule with your meals and pack your kids in the car and bring them down to Advance and Girls Club. There's more work involved when you do that. But when your kids get out of the car and you see them walking away, you got to see Peter. Hey, guys, your wife says, uh, you know, you got to put the kids to bed tonight. Johnny lost his sneaker. I think the dog hit it. You have to go find it. And you're like, yeah, okay, well, then, you know, I got the football game I'm going to watch tonight. No, no, you got the kids. Because I'm going to the ladies' lift meeting. So the husband who's inconvenienced with extra work has to see Peter. 
when he sees his wife's taillights. Pulling up, right? Yeah, that's right. Gotta see. Not so much that she's leaving him, it's where she's going. Ladies, you're not off the hook. No, no, it's Friday night. Uh huh. You're thinking, oh, it's the weekend. It's the weekend. You go to the refrigerator, you put the honeydew list on the fridge, tape it up, you roll it out, and you roll it out, and you roll it out, and then you put the tape on the back. You got it out there, it's Saturday morning, your husband's going to see that list. First thing on top of the list, be sure to feed the kids because I'm sleeping in, right? Your husband gets up early, gives you a kiss goodbye and says, I'll see you later, where are you going? 318, men's breakfast but I've got all this extra stuff I've got to do with the kids and whatever. I know it's extra work, but you've got to see Peter swimming away. We all have to see that. We have to see there might be some inconvenience in the boat, but what's going on, Peter? He's swimming away. This is Jesus' third appearance to the disciples. The first one after his resurrection was in a closed room. He just showed up. In the second appearance, he showed up in a similar way, but it was a little different. Because we think of him seeking out Thomas. Come here, Thomas. Come see, it's me. Second appearance, he was kind of concerned about a relationship. This is his third appearance on the shore. He didn't show up for us. He's just there. We have to go to him. We have to pursue like Peter to where Jesus is. So third appearance. It's a little more effort on our part. So now, Peter gets to shore, and I have to read this. John 21, 8 to 11. Okay. So the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they're not far off from the land, about 100 yards. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but 100 yards is not close. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So here's the scenario. Peter gets to the shore where Jesus is. He's standing over a charcoal fire cooking fish. And he says, I need more fish. And Peter goes, I know where there's fish. So now Peter goes back to the boat that they had dragged ashore, and he jumps on the boat, and he helps them pull the net in. And he's pulling it in to get it into shore. Here we go, detour. The fish were a blessing, right, from the Lord. The net didn't break. I told Ian... Children are a blessing of the Lord. Even your terrible twos and your teenagers and your adults. The net does break. There's people in the boat going to help you put that net in. There's nursery workers. There's kids club. There's youth leaders, girls club leaders. There's deacons, there's elders, and even the pastor. It might be a blessing you think you can't handle. 
just like they couldn't handle it. But you know what? It wasn't so important to get it on the boat. The most important thing is to get it to shore. Sometimes with the blessing, we think it has to all work out a certain way in our life. And uh, the key thing is with the net, that you don't lose it. It might not happen the way you want it to happen. The net's not going to break, and you'll hang on to it. I don't care how old we are and how old our kids get. That's a word that God gave me. I'm giving it to you. Okay, so Peter gets the net. The guy's are probably starting to count the fish. We know there's 153 of them. Not Pete. Pete takes two biggest ones under his arms. And back to Jesus with the fire. Because Peter's like, he's all excited. He swam to the fire, and now he's coming back with the fish. So he gets there. And the first fire Peter went to was for heat. And the light revealed him. This fire is for food cooking. And Peter stood over it, and he's looking now into the face of Jesus. And he knows. Jesus knows. And Peter knows that Jesus knows what happened. It's like, it's right there. What does he do? Nothing said. Jesus doesn't say anything. Doesn't condemn him. Doesn't accuse him. Doesn't say, see, Peter, I mean, in our, in our life, that is the ultimate I told you so moment. Right? We live for those moments. Kids, don't do that because it's going to happen. And when it happens, I told you so. Okay? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. There's no condemnation at that fire. There's only restoration of relationship that Peter probably thought was lost at the first fire. Nothing said. You know, it's interesting. Peter's there. He's loved. Restored relationship. Forgiven. All those things. Going back to our friend Forrest Gump. He jumped out of the boat twice in that film also. I'm not going to show the clip, but later in the film, they get a radio call that his mom is sick, and he jumps off the boat again. So he jumped out of the boat twice. Peter jumped out of the boat twice. We all remember the first time, right? Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter jumped out of the boat. First time Peter jumped out of the boat, Jesus walking on the water. Jesus showed Peter who Jesus was. Master of the sea, ruler, God. Second time Peter jumped out of the boat, Jesus showed Peter who Peter was. Forgiven, loved, not condemned, not knocked down, not defeated. Forrest is a pretty cool guy. Forrest and Peter. I'm going to fast forward to something else, another event. The day of Pentecost. There wasn't much time after this. That's 120 people up in the room. And we know the story, how the Holy Spirit came down. And all were filled. And they all came out of the room, came down. People were amazed. They were speaking in tongues and native language with people all around. And they were all amazed. But Peter, he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Does anyone ever just say... Why not the other guys? Why Peter? 
Holy Spirit showed up in fire. Peter had a special relationship with fire. He kind of, he knew what it was right away. Everyone else kind of took this Holy Spirit thing out for a test drive. They're like, oh, let's see how it goes. Peter, he drove it like it was stolen. All right? He took it and he went. He knew what it was. And that, and it was amazing. 3,000 people the first day get saved. Why? Fire. I got to get you back on the boat. So those are the three fires. First fire of uh, failure or brokenness. Second fire of restoration. And the third fire, Holy Spirit of empowerment. Now the Holy Spirit, that fire is great. But it doesn't make us perfect. We still end up back at the first fire. Because we're not perfect. Now, the Holy Spirit will help us not keep going back to the first fire for the same thing. That's, that's where the Holy Spirit, and we don't have to go through all that torture and the pain of doing the same thing over and over again. But we still end up at the first fire where we're broken. Because we're not perfect. We are, say that, we're not perfect. Even filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not perfect. We still end up back at the first fire. And then what do you have to do? We have to pursue and come to the second fire. I'm going to put you back on the boat for a second. This is kind of interesting. If you were in church today, or anywhere across this country, people in church, if they saw Jesus, like they did in the boat, saw him on the shore, if they heard Jesus, he shouted to them. Maybe they heard him here. If they heard Jesus... If they obeyed Jesus, obeyed what he said, and then he gave them a blessing they couldn't even handle. Those people, most people would say, that was a good day in church. That was a real good day in church. But somehow, today, the image of Peter swimming away from the boat says it's not enough. It's not enough. We live in this tension of constantly here and there. But it's not a tension because he welcomes us to this place where he's at and he doesn't condemn us for what happened. Now we think of Jesus knowing what happened. Yeah, he knows what your week was like. But I've got to give you another analogy. And I'll use some of my friends. Eric Davis, Met fan like myself. He says, hey, Paul, did you know that Mike Piazza was in Newburgh last night, and he was at the Longhorn restaurant? And I'd say, no, Eric, I did not know Mike Piazza was at the restaurant. So then I say, it's my son. I said, Drew, did you know that Mike Piazza was at the Longhorn restaurant? Now my son Drew works at the Longhorn restaurant. <laughs> so my son Drew goes, yeah, Dad, I was there. I can tell you how many people were in this party. I can tell you what I had to eat. I can tell you what he was dressed like. I can even tell you if he was a good tipper or not. I was there. Jesus doesn't know what happened last week. He was there. He was there. We think of information because we're in the information age and he knows everything. He was there. Jesus was there. So when we come to the table where he's at, he was there and he's here. He's at that fire there to help you. He's at 
the one over there that's going to reveal our brokenness, and he's at the one that's going to restore us. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. I need the worship team to come back because I'm going to get done early. I don't sound as early as I thought. I did good. <laughs> I need, I'm just going to close with a, a final thought. Well, two thoughts, really. If you ever find yourself in a boat and the captain's name is Peter or Forrest, <laughs> life jacket, life jacket. See how my mind works. It's a good thing they didn't have a plane 2,000 years ago, right? Can you see them? Who's flying a plane? Peter. Ah. Uh, no, really. Peter. P for pursuit. Peter, jumping out of the boat, swimming 100 yards, when it could have been done another way, but he was pursuing. And Jesus was there. He didn't meet him halfway. He showed up, but he didn't meet him halfway. But the pursuit. And it's the pursuit that is so important in our lives. And we need to constantly be pursuing that. You know, this morning we come into a meal, and just like Jesus on the beach, cooking on the grill, it's a meal. This meal is prepared by him. It's him. This is, this is another meal. And I think it's kind of neat that this morning, especially, we don't pass the elements out to you. You have to come. You have to pursue. So when you come this morning and you be prepared to receive, think of that. Think of the pursuit. You have to get out of your seat to do that. You have to move. You can't just sit there and wait for it to happen. It's something that we go after. And we want more than just a blessing. We want him. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.